Going beyond the headlines? Getting to the heart of the story. Calgary Today with Joe McFarland on 770 CHQR. I'm not saying it's a great idea, but there was a time, and it's not a proud moment in our history, but there was a time when there were places, yes, we called them institutions, for people who dealt with mental health issues, a lot of severe mental health issues. I mean, I'm glad we've changed that model, but is there a way that we can still have something like that so those people and those families who just seem like they've got nowhere to turn have some help? I want to bring in Tasha Tracy. She's a speaker, author of Lost Marbles, Insights into My Life with Depression and Bipolar. She joins us today. Hello, Natasha. Hi, nice to speak with you. Tell me a little bit about your story as you've dealt with depression and bipolar. Yeah, so um, I was diagnosed uh, around the age of 20. So that was about 20 years ago now. And since then, I have been in the treatment system, uh, both in Canada and in the United States. And um, I've been on the end of some pretty successful treatment and some pretty unsuccessful treatment and have actually been hospitalized for suicidal ideation in bipolar disorder. And so I've seen basically all aspects Mm. of the treatment system, and I've seen many, many people at many places in the treatment system. And, of course, I talk to people every day who are having challenges with the healthcare system and getting help for mental health. Can you give me a little bit of a history lesson? Because, as I said, in the 40s, 50s, 60s, we did have institutions. I'm not saying they were great, but tell me a bit of history and where we've come from there. Yeah, so when institutions were around, it was basically because we didn't have very effective treatments for people with mental illness. But with the advent of medications called antipsychotics, as well as the use of lithium, um, people like people with bipolar and schizophrenia were much more likely to be successfully treated. And so there was this movement to get everyone out of institutions and put them in the community. And the thought was, to put the healthcare services that those people needed to access in the community. The problem, of course, was funding. Mm. While the institutions went away, those care resources that were needed in the community did not materialize in the way that people needed. And so what you see is this population of people who are essentially between institutionalization and regular everyday functionality with no options left for them. There aren't the institutions for them to go to, and yet the community care resources aren't sufficient for them. And so what we see are a lot of people either in jail or are homeless because of this situation and this lack of resources. It did make sense. I mean, Alberta went through it, a lot of the provinces, and there, there still are some mental hospitals, but um, they, they just don't do enough for all the people that are out there who need help. So at the time, I think it made sense, put them into the community. But as you say, the the funding hasn't been there. I just was speaking with CMHA a representative from there and said, we haven't really seen much of an increase in mental health funding over the last number of years. So if you don't have the funding... What happens to those people who really need the help? 
Yeah, it's really, it's a scary proposition. So speaking as a person who has a serious mental illness, when you aren't thinking right, when you aren't thinking rationally, and this is particularly true for people who are, for example, psychotic, so they're having delusions and hallucinations. For people in this situation, you're not thinking clearly enough to maneuver a system that is infinitely more complex than it needs to be. If you're sick, you need to present yourself to a doctor and say, look, I am completely non-functional. I cannot help myself. Please, someone help me. And that help needs to be available at that time because otherwise that person falls through the cracks. If you say to that person, sure, no problem, you can have an appointment with a psychiatrist in six months. Well, that person now suddenly has nowhere to go, has no idea what to do. And if you think they're going to show up in six months, well, you know, that's really unlikely for such a huge portion of people. And so what ends up happening is these people who are very, very vulnerable, don't end up getting help until something really tragic happens. Well, and I, I always think of the family as well, because a lot of times, as you say, you were diagnosed at 20, you're an adult. So a lot of times the family, they don't even have a say because the the health system sees these, you know, a 20 year old, you're the one who's going to make the decisions. And a family stands by and says, we, we've tried everything, but we can't convince the Natasha's or David's or Faisal's of the world that they need more help. Yes, that is absolutely true. Um, families are, their hands are really tied when it comes to this and doctors' hands are really tied, right? So a doctor can't talk to the family and the family can talk to the doctor until the family's blue in the face and yet it makes no difference. So yes, the family is in a very precarious position when it comes to dealing with someone who refuses help for a very serious disorder and who really does need help, but doesn't realize that they need it. Yeah. Now, I'm not a huge proponent of governments getting involved because I I would rather see communities doing it because, well, for one thing, it's a little more cost effective than governments running. I don't even want to. The problem is we call them institutions. And I think that's the big issue. We have this vision of uh, one flew over the cuckoo's nest. But even if there was a way that more funding could get into community programs and those people really struggling had safe places to go to, is that a way that is that one way we could look at this maybe reinstitutionalization? Yeah, I mean, I think there are two levels of care that are really missing. Now, the one thing that's great about Canada is once you do get a hospital bed, you're often not kicked out of it. In the United States, you are. But in Canada, um, typically, once you get a bed, you are able to stay in that bed and maintain some and, and get to hopefully some sort of wellness. Mm-hmm. Not everyone gets a bed, however, the beds are very scarce. So what we need, of course, are more beds. But there is a second level of help that is also necessary. And that's basically um, a mental health community, as you say, which is what I would consider to be a community where mental health is facilitated, where there is some level of oversight and yet also some level of independence. You know, I think of like a sober living community for people who have addictions. I think the basically the equivalent except for, for a mental health uh, community. Uh, Natasha, I know I was only going to keep you till 3.30. Is there any way I can hold you over to the news? I've just got a few more questions, and then I'll continue the conversation with my listeners. Are you good for another 10 minutes or so, 15 minutes? 
Sure, no problem. Perfect. Natasha Tracy, she is my guest. And I do have a few more questions. The whole idea of how we do look at those living with mental health and are we doing enough to ensure that things don't end tragically, whether suicide, violent acts, 403-974-8255. Our conversation will continue after the news. Natasha Tracy is my guest, and I've just carried her over a little bit longer because I'm getting lots of texts. This whole idea of maybe reinstitutionalizing isn't the right term, but how do we have to ensure that we don't end up with an incident where someone dealing with mental health, I'm not giving excuses to what happened in Toronto. This is just an opportunity to talk about it. But how do we ensure that those people struggling with mental health issues are getting the help they need? And so, Natasha, before the news break, you were talking about, you know, the whole idea of sure we could get more hospital beds. That's one thing. However, we've got to be able to look at what we're doing even within the, the community setting and how we can ensure that those people get the help they need. So just expand on that whole idea. Sure. So, you know, there are people who get into the system successfully and do go to the hospital and do get stabilized. But the question is, what is the handoff protocol? What happens next? And that's a big problem for some people. Now, some people are released and they have a great family around them and they, you know, that really helps and they are successful and there you go. But there are so many people that don't have a family or a community around them that's really helping them maintain their wellness. And so that's where we need some kind of oversight for that person to help them to say, okay, Have you gotten your medications for this month? Have you been seeing your doctor? Have you been attending therapy? Are you looking at getting a job? What is going on with your living situation? Because these questions are critical in trying to keep people off of the streets and out of jail. That's what needs to be done is that type of critical hand-holding, essentially, to help a person get onto their feet to the point where they can answer those questions themselves. But there's a time when those questions are too difficult and someone needs to help you get the answers. Natasha, off the top, you said when we look back to the way things were, uh, we didn't have the treatment programs in place. We didn't have maybe the the medication that helped people stabilize. So we talk about maybe positive treatments, but there still isn't a cure for a, a lot of these mental health conditions. And that's why you, you stress this idea of constant follow-up to ensure that they do stay on the right track. Yes, that's right. So there is no cure for mental illness in general, certainly not for bipolar disorder and certainly not for many other illnesses as well. But there is treatment and there is management. So I've been in terrible places with my bipolar disorder. In fact, I've even attempted suicide. But I've gotten to a place now where I'm able to successfully function as, you know, an average everyday person. And that's the level that everyone, we want everyone to get to, is where they can function in the community by themselves. Because treatment, while not perfect, it is wildly imperfect, hopefully can get everyone to that stage. But it is about a constant maintenance. And I know that for me, I cannot simply stop seeing a doctor. That's not an option. And it's not an option for most people with severe mental illness. 
And we could do this. We don't necessarily have to have it in government-run institutions. We could do this just ensuring those community organizations have the funding so that they're able to have uh, enough professionals to look after the needs of the people who are struggling. Absolutely. I know the Canadian Mental Health um, Association does some amazing work with people, and it is about making sure that organizations like that and other organizations do have the right kind of funding for the right kind of professionals to help people who can't help themselves. Natasha, thanks so much for uh, continuing the conversation with us. Thank you so much for having me. Natasha Tracy, she is a speaker, author of Lost Marbles, Insights into My Life with Depression and Bipolar.